I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello friends, today is Saturday, November 16th, 2019, and this is episode 41 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing, um, I got a new tattoo. I got the tattoo on Wednesday, and um, it is on my upper arm, and it is a fairy with Afro puffs with her right fist raised, and she's in sort of a, a superhero pose. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. I have been thinking about this for a long time. I wrote on Instagram that I first had the idea for like a black fairy Afro puff tattoo when I was in college. So my very first tattoo, I was 19. I was a sophomore in college and it's on my back. It's a very 90s tattoo. It's very old now. I'm thinking of getting it either re-inked or covered at some point or like updated. But, um, yeah, as they say, they're, they're, uh, they're addictive. Although I don't have that many. Like I, it took me, uh, my second, the next tattoo I got was on my 27th birthday. So, uh, <laughs> Took me a while to get to get another one, and um, yeah, so this is my fifth, I believe. If you count these two, the last one is one, even though it's in two spots, but we'll count it as one because it was one session. And it took me a really long time uh, to find an artist—not twenty years, obviously. Like I, I just I had the idea, but I hadn't uh, been impelled to actually make it a reality until the last few years. And then I spent a long time looking at artists. So I had found an artist and put something on my Pinterest board like maybe five years ago. But of course, this person is in France. (laughs) And unlike my brother, who does travel to Europe for tattoos, that's just not my style. That artist did actually travel to New York sometimes. And I had emailed him, like, when are you next to New York? And then, let's see, the election happened. And the current president was elected, making visas and things a lot harder for people in other countries. And so he was like, oh, no, I don't think I'll be able to get a work visa in the United States anytime soon. Um, so I was like, okay, well, let me let me try to find someone, maybe not a similar style, because that, you know, that artist was very unique, but someone else with a unique style, because I didn't want a realistic tattoo. Um, I just wasn't drawn to that. And also, I think about the future, like, how is this going to look in 20 years? Your skin changes, you know, I look at the ones that I have, and they they do, they start to blur. And that's natural, because your skin is evolving and growing. And I think anything too detailed and too realistic looking, and by realistic for a fairy, I just mean like a realistic face, you know, like a, I don't know all the artistic words, but um, I wasn't interested in that at all. I wanted something that was more stylized, that was a little bit more surreal, and that I thought, as it blurs and changes, is not going to look insane, you know, when I'm 75, wearing, you know, tank tops. <laughs> so that was one of the, the uh, considerations. Yeah, so I'd found, you know, I found different artists whose styles I really liked, but they were always far away. And there was a woman in Denver, and I'm like, well, I could go to Denver. Uh, I did rock, a whole rock climbing trip in Denver last year. I mean, it wasn't an entirely rock climbing trip. It was a, I was going to a conference, and I went a day early to rock climb. Uh, but then my wrists happened, so no rock climbing for a while. So I'm not going to Denver anytime soon. But long story short, or still long, I, I found an artist in Baltimore who has a really unique style that I really liked. And um, 
I thought that he would be the right person for the job. So I booked him a couple months ago and got it this week. And I'm really happy with it. I'm super psyched. So yeah, that was kind of the highlight of the week. A close uh, runner up for this week's best thing. I saw this video of this nine-year-old uh, girl who's a drummer and she's British. She's like half British, half Zulu. She was drumming a Nirvana song and like, from what I don't know that much about drumming, my husband is a drummer, and so uh, he has a is <laughs> electronic kit down in the basement. So I do watch him drum sometimes. From my uh, amateur perspective, she's freaking awesome, and even more so because as she's like drumming the song, she's like screaming. She'll give like a primal scream in the middle of it, and then keep drumming. I'll link to the video. It's amazing, and it's just like this girl has just no fear. She has complete access to. Every emotion, every emotional part of her, she just seems so free. And part of it is just being a child, but I think part of it is some unique quality that she has. And I just thought that was the best thing ever. It was really very cool to watch. So check it out. Oh, a note about last week. I got a comment from Library Addicts about um, Last Christmas, the movie, and the director's response to the one-star ratings. And she said that she's actually seen it. And some of the, the low reviews are, or the bad reviews are because, no spoilers, but it doesn't necessarily meet expectations for a rom-com. And when the first trailer came out, uh, at least people on Twitter were like making some guesses. And she seemed to hint that those guesses are correct, which is my interpretation of the comment. And I, I agree. Like you look at the trailer, you're like, mm. so I'm still going to see it. Uh, but going in knowing that it might not meet my expectations for what I want this movie to be. Like they're trying to do something different and innovative and people don't necessarily want different and innovative. Sometimes they just want a good old fashioned classic rom-com that's going to do what you want it to do. In that vein, uh, there was an article about why Hallmark movies, there's a reason you can't quit those corny Hallmark holiday movies, like those Hallmark Christmas movies, um, why do we love them so much? And it just had a couple of interesting points, you know, like psychologically about why they feel good, um, even though they're not good movies, you know. Although the last one I watched, it seems like they have, the script was a lot better than I'm used to. Um, I mean, acting seemed to be a little bit better too. Like everything just seemed to be up a little bit. And it was one of the new ones for this year, Holiday for Heroes or something like that. And I was, it was one of those days when I was just done and I needed a brain break. So I was like, oh yes, let's watch this. And I was a little bit surprised because I'm used to the level that you expect of a Hall. And I'm not saying that this was a great Emmy winning movie, but it was definitely better than most of them. So I feel like the writers are just I don't know, maybe, and I have to see if there's any more that are that are better. But, you know, it's just, there's a comfort factor to them. Um, even if you're not a white person in a small town and have no desire to be any of those things, uh, it is still uplifting, even in its cheesiness and even its, in its, uh, this one had a black best friend and she had a, a bigger role than the black best friend usually has. I'm not making excuses for these movies, but there is a place for them. And I, I do enjoy uh, I do enjoy them sometimes when I'm in the mood for it and when I really need that hit of silly, corny happiness, um, a life that 
don't really recognize and have no aspirations towards, you know, being a small town barista slash coffee shop owner slash cupcake shop owner or whatever the ridiculous thing is. Um, but they're still very warm and fuzzy. And um, we also listened to an NPR podcast episode. I, I think it was On Point. Uh, it, it could have been something else, but it was about Hallmark movies and why would people like them. And Lacey Chabert was interviewed as like the Hallmark uh, movie queen and, and actually an executive from Hallmark. And then they had a critic uh, who was actually very complimentary considering the critic was um, a trans woman who was a movie critic. And so she brought up, you know, the lack of diversity and several of the callers did too, but she was also very kind, lack of diversity um, in race and in LGBT. And I'm sure there's, I don't really remember saying to me disabled people or, you know, <laughs> other kinds of people in these movies either. Um, and the exec, the executive like sidestepped sort of like, Oh, we're really open to diversity and we're getting more, but it was, it was, it was a sidestep and it was a very like fluffy piece. And so I think that the critic, you know, echoed people who who liked them and she liked them too. And I won't say that she gave them a pass. I'll say that she was very kind and while acknowledging that there are a lot of issues, but yeah, so it was, it was a week when I needed, uh, a hit of dopamine from <laughs> from a Hallmark movie. Which brings me to the writing update. So on Monday, as I said in last the last episode, I did turn in the copy edits and the new epigraphs. And that was such a big push that it used up most of my creative energy for the week. I did not have a good writing week this week, unfortunately. Sherman is repositioning himself. So yeah, I did not have a good writing week. Um, my, all right, so the current deadlines are the novella, which I'm self-publishing, and it is due to the copy editor mid-December, and then also book four of Earthlinger Chronicles. I've already asked for more time on it because this book is a beast. Um, I think I've gone over some of the reasons why I'm having such a hard time with this book, but in addition to it being the last book in the series, it's also the first book in the series that I'm writing since they've been republished. So I had three written when I signed on with St. Martin's Press. I was about to publish the third one, so I'll publish the third one. And so even though I revised them all and they, they're different books than they, the self-published versions, they were already there. Now, since then, because I've gone back into all of them and added more, uh, based on you know editorial feedback, and I think they wanted the books to be longer and more fantasy-ish, now I have so much to wrap up, more than I would have in the original versions of the books. And it's very, very daunting. The other thing is, I'm not sure if um, since the books are out, well, the first two are out, and you know, is there pressure that I'm putting on myself based on audience reaction? You know, um, Jeffy Kennedy was talking about this also on her podcast on First Cup of Coffee. And, you know, she's been having some struggles with the momentum recently with the book that she's writing and thinking about what the audience wants, what the readers want. A lot of self-published authors um, really write 
for the readers. Like I've heard Marie Force talk about this, where um, readers say, I want this, and they write that. And readers, you know, they are very in tune. And that's one of the benefits of self-publishing. You can listen to the readers and respond and give them what they want, theoretically. Uh, but also that's, I think it's also a detriment because um, I find it very difficult to write while I'm thinking about who these other people are and what they want out of it. Like, all I can do is is write the book that that is inside of me, you know, and I can't. It's very difficult to do that when you're considering all these other opinions. Um, I don't think that's a huge part of it. I think it's a very small part of what is is um, making this process difficult. The other part of it is just it's difficult. Writing a book is hard, you know, and uh, and every time it's hard. And so you forget, like, you forget how difficult it is when you finish one. When I went to get the tattoo, he was like, oh, how long has it been since your last tattoo? And I was like, a year or two. And he was like, yeah, you forget, you know, like, afterwards. Because when he did the first lines, um, he's like, I'm doing the line just to, to remind you what it feels like to get tattooed. And I'm like, okay, yep, I remember. This is what it's like. And we were joking about how childbirth, you know, I read uh, childbirth is like that. There's some hormone or something that you get after, women get afterwards where they forget how terrible it was. So they want to have more. And um, it's just the natural function of humans where something is really, really hard and you get through it and then you're done and you forget how hard it was. So that when you have to do it again, it's like, it's all new. Like, how did I ever do this before? So some of it is that. Uh, some of it is writing on a deadline, um, which I'm used to, but it is. Creativity does not come on demand. And that is something I heard Jeffrey Kennedy talk about this week also. And it's very true. I love meeting deadlines. You know, like I love having them because it focuses me and because I like the parameters, but it's also difficult. And, you know, this book is due at the beginning of February. And I've a few weeks ago I already asked for more time because, um, I want to give, there's a lot of reasons. I want to give something that's more polished than it would be if I had to give essentially not the first draft, but the first revision. Uh, and I don't think that anything much more than the first revision will be done in beginning of February based on my current progress. So yeah, there's, there's just a lot of things going around in my head. And I sit down, especially this week after just, um, making that push creatively to get those epigraphs done, which is always a difficult thing. Um, I just didn't have a lot left in the tank. I was trying to, you know, kind of follow my own advice. So what did you do when you're feeling a little burnt out? I was feeling crispy around the edges this week. So I tried to raise my energy level. Um, one thing that I did was just focus on, on work stuff, uh, just to feel like I'm accomplishing something. Like I'm not accomplishing as much writing work as I want, but, um, I got some work projects and I can use a slightly different part of my brain. Some of coding, so I'm a web developer, if you didn't know, but some of, some of coding is very creative. You know, it's a lot of problem solving. There's a lot of different type of creativity because it's technical creativity, but some of it is just, doing work, you know, uh, building things, uh, just 
non-creative work, just like things that I can do. I don't have to think about them too much. I'm copying and pasting. I'm, you know, configuring things. I'm doing settings um, on plugins and whatever. So I could go just focus for a few hours, do some deep work on a website and feel like I've accomplished something, even if it's not the thing I wanted to get done that day. That's one of the things. Um, but then when it comes to actually raising my energy level and trying to fill that well back up so that I have fill the tank, <laughs> so many metaphors, fill the tank back up. So I have gas left to push me forward is, um, music, play my favorite music. <sighs> I, the thing that came to me to play was, um, a deep cut. It's, uh, from the movie Polly, starring Keisha Knight Polyam, and uh, the song is Sweet Little Angel Eyes. It is a great song to get your energy level up. And I was thinking, what are the words? So not only did I play the song, I played it a bunch of times so I could write down the words. Now, I've done this before. And it actually reminds me of another kind of writing trick that I've heard before. Most recently, Sarah Pinsker, who we were at a conference, and she was talking about how when she's stuck with something, she will choose one of her favorite short stories, I think, and transcribe it, like rewrite it. I don't know if it's by hand or by typing, but that really gets her back into it. I've heard other people say similar things. Like you choose the writing of someone that you really love and respect and admire or a story that you love and rewrite it. Just rewrite it word for word. And that can re-trigger some sort of creative sense and get you back into, into it. I haven't tried that, and maybe I should do that. But what I did is transcribe a song that I really liked, and I wanted to be able to sing along with it and know all the words. So um, I just found the video on YouTube. I'll link to it. It's a great song. And of course, that led me down a rabbit hole about whatever happened to Jimmy Bean. Um, he's still alive, if you've seen Polly. Who hasn't seen Polly? If you haven't seen Polly, then you really need to. Anyway, so music, uh, movement, dancing, uh, dancing to music that you love, and then, of course, reading and watching things. And so, yeah, that's how I've been trying to just reset myself creatively, go to mental break. I did show up every day and do something. Um, so in these times, going back to things that I've already worked on and then doing another pass, like another revision pass, just a cleanup pass. That helps. That makes me feel like I'm still working on the project, even though I'm not moving forward really, but that needs to be done. Other things I wanted to do, I wanted to do some more plotting. And I just didn't have the energy. So I trying to be kind to myself and um, recover so that I can do another push. But when you have to do those really intense pushes, there is a consequence and uh, I've been feeling the consequence this week. So hopefully I will, you know, continue this weekend. I'm going to try to write, I'm going to try to do some fast drafting to jumpstart that. Um, but maybe I will just take a minute and transcribe a short story or a poem or something and see if that helps re-engage that creative flow. Because I think it's an interesting idea and I've never actually tried to physically do it. So I'll let you know how that goes. Book recommendation. So my husband and I, my husband doesn't really read fiction. The only fiction books he will read are Star Wars books. So 
And generally we do that um, on audiobook when we're together on a trip. So we were facing this, you know, two and a half hour drive each way when we were in Atlanta over the past weekend. And so uh, he had downloaded Resistance Reborn by Rebecca Roanhorse. And I was like, oh, Rebecca. She, Rebecca is the reason why I have my agent. She introduced me to my agent, Sarah Megabo. And I was an early beta reader for um, the book that became Trail of Lightning. It was called something else when I read it. And it was just obviously fantastic. If you haven't read Rebecca Roanhorse, then you really, really need to. Trail of Lightning is fantastic. Uh, and so is Re- Resistance Reborn. So we have listened to several Star Wars books, um, Lost Stars, Aftermath. We didn't finish all of Aftermath. We got through the first two and a half books, um, which was enough to follow because some of those characters are in Resistance Reborn. Um, we did one, the Leia book, the, the young Leia book. I think we just call Leia. And then, um, what is it called? Bloodlines? I can't remember all of them, but several of the Claudia Gray books, some of the Chuck Wendig books. He's read some of the Thrawn books just on his own. And whenever he's reading a book, no matter what it is, if it's fiction, yay, I'm so happy. <laughs> he won't read mine, but that's a, that, it's fine. It's fine. So yes, we listened to it and we finished it this week at home and I really enjoyed it. It was, and especially if you've read some of the other books, because she's bringing in, um, characters from these other they're not is it extended universe what are they calling the star wars extra things that aren't the movie now whatever that is bringing in characters from some of these books that we've read and some the video games battlefront and it there's a lot of fan service in addition to so this this book is the prequel to the last what is the movie called rise of skywalker episode nine, whatever that's called. And it, it leads you into that. So it's, it, it comes, it starts directly after uh, episode eight, The Last Jedi, right? And it deals with the aftermath of that. Um, really good writing. Even my husband was like, oh, Leslie, yeah, your friend, she's really good. She's one of the best Star Wars writers, you know, her, her style is very clean. And I'm like, yeah, she's a good writer. I told you that. <laughs> so if you... Um, are into Star Wars books, definitely check out Resistance Reborn. Another thing I might do to fill the well is to do some craft stuff. So there's several craft books on my shelf that I haven't read yet. And I usually like to read them in between books. Um, but now might be a good time to just check in with some of them. I don't know. There's also a video workshop by N.K. Jemison on world building that I found. Um, so she gave this workshop at the Wire 25 conference. And apparently it was like an interactive with the audience. So I might sit down and watch that also this weekend at some point in time. Because N.K. Jemison, you know, one of the best world builders out there. And she has really interesting things to say about it and about her approach to it. That uh, and, I, and world building is my favorite thing. So I would love to just dig deeper into how she does it and how she teaches it. So that's another thing. Also, a bunch of books on my Kindle. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the book that I reread last last night, literally. So uh, my friend Nikisha is at the Romance Author Mastermind Conference. She texted us and she was like, I just met Ernesta T. Carter. And Ernesta T. Carter is the author of 32 Candles. And I first, I read this book like seven or eight years ago. Uh, so Nikisha and I were in another week-long 
workshop with uh, an author named Dolan Perkins Valdez. And we were both interested in romance and Dolan is not a romance writer, but she was like, oh, she had a friend who had written a romance. And so she recommended that we read 32 Candles. It is not what a romance reader or writer would consider a romance. It is definitely what a non-romance reader would consider a romance. But if you are a romance reader, then it is, it's safe. It's fine. It's good. It's just not, it's probably more like chiclet, I guess. I'm not a big chiclet and I will not read women's fiction in general. So even though this book might be in that category, I still highly recommend it. Um, now, Ernesto T. Carter now writes as Theodora Taylor. She writes straight up romance. and But this was an earlier work of hers. And I reread the entire thing last night. And it is fantastic. Um, it's got, it's, it's really great if you are interested in like structure and voice. It's a first person narrator. Unreliable narrators. I can't exactly call her unreliable. But the narrator... And this is the only thing I'll say, no spoilers. She is, everything she says, everything she tells you is true. So I guess she's not unreliable. But there's a very interesting aspect to this narrator and the way that she tells the story. And yes, uh, after I read it, I was like, oh, this book is so great. <laughs> I really loved it. So I'm glad that I, I reread it last night um, and was reminded of it. It's another one of those things that you're reminded of something that you love and I had only read it the one time and then we gushed about it after we had initially read it. So happy to introduce it to new people. Um, 32 candles. And that is it for me for this week. Uh, gonna go try to get some writing done. Um, I have a bunch of other things to do this weekend and hopefully I will have enough gas in my tank to get them done and to just, get back into that creative flow. So for episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check out the video episodes on YouTube. I would really love a rating or review um, to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more podcasts you will adore, check out frolic.media slash podcasts. Happy reading. <laughs>